So welcome to Confessions of a Serial Seller. I have with me a best-selling author. He's a speaker all over the UK, around Europe, and in America. And he's the creator of the Success Code. Steve McNicholas, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Tony. Delighted to be here. And uh, like I say, I much appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. No, thank you. So, Steve, tell us a bit about you and, and how this whole, your background and how you finally got to creating the success code. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll try and do that, Tony. That normally takes about 45 minutes on stage, but I'm, I'm very conscious of time. So I'll try yeah. and make it last maybe a minute or two. Um, so in terms of my corporate background, Tony, I've worked in a number of sectors over the last three or four decades, banking, consumer data, and particularly over the last 12, 13 years in private equity, yeah. which normally tends to get me booed when I'm on stage or presenting. But anyway, okay. um, and, and that was great. Lots of senior executive roles there, running and, and sort of being responsible for sales teams, fundamentally commercial organizations, both in the UK and internationally. Um, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful career. Truly and truly enjoyed it, but um, perhaps maybe 12, 13 years or so ago, um, I began to form a real interest in personal development. Yeah. Um, helping others, individuals, teams, organizations to understand how to achieve, succeed, win, whatever, whatever label we want to give it. Mm. Um, and as that interest and passion developed, um, mainly through my career really and particularly in the private equity space i was traveling all over the world which sounds very glamorous but you know, quickly that, that excitement quickly bores uh, wears off but yeah um i just let it be known to as many of my contacts as i could that i would love to meet and discuss and ask and interrogate and research anybody and everybody who claims to be successful yeah um, not necessarily just always in a business sense or a sales sense, but you know, people who have found success in wealth or in health or mm -hmm. in sort of starting a business, growing a business, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I quickly, thanks to social media at the time, got lots and lots and lots of invites from uh, individuals wanting and willing to speak about how they succeeded. Yeah. Um, and that ultimately, Probably took me several eight years. Tony, I started to form a real passion for um, for this particular field of interest, and and I began to notice, began to maybe observe a trend, a bit of a pattern, a sequence. Yeah. That no matter what the field of interest or what the area of interest was, these individuals were fundamentally all doing the same thing. Really. You know, they may have called it something different. It may have sort of had a different label, but fundamentally they were doing the same thing in approximately the same order yeah finding success whatever success meant finding it at the end of it um so that that passion and that sort of interest and that sort of insight um developed over a number of years i sort of then began to sort of put the seeds of a book together I yeah was gonna a second book i was very fortunate to write my first book on success with a rather famous chap by the name of Jack Campfield. Yeah. Um, and then the success code itself came when the publishers approached me and said, look, you have some ideas in this space and, and would you be prepared to, to write a book on it? Um, so I did. That was about yeah. two years ago. I, I decided at that point to step away from corporate life. Um, yeah. I had enjoyed it considerably, but I felt now if I was really, truly going to follow my passion, 
which was success and helping people find it. Yeah. And that was what I did. So stepped away, wrote the book, and then found that I, I sort of people would approach me and ask me to speak about it. And that's where the speaking and the coaching work. And, and that's where we are today, Tony. So I love it. that was a bit long winded, but no, I love it. It's an amazing story actually. And, and you, you said that you found some commonalities, some traits amongst these, you know, so-called successful people, no matter what line of work they're in, but they found success. Share with us, share with my audience a little bit about what those commonalities were. Oh, absolutely. So it eventually, and, and in terms of the book, it eventually boils down to seven, what I've labeled, Tony, code blocks. Um, yeah. You can sort of picture in your mind a number of blocks, one on top of each other, building up. Well, that's, that's how the success code is sort of pictorially demonstrated. Yeah. Um, and there are a number of common themes. So yeah, I won't literally go through all seven, but success fundamentally starts wherever I went in the world, whoever I spoke to, and in whatever area of sort of expertise they'd succeeded in. And mm. it starts with ownership. Mm. That's, that's the first code block in the book that every single individual or team or group or combination of were very, very clear at the start that success started with them, stayed with them and was owned by them. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, what I mean fundamentally about that, that their mindset, their decision-making was all about their sort of themselves. It was never about blame or regret or yeah. resentment or it's somebody else's fault or somebody else will need to do something to allow me. You know, that never entered their mind. If they were going to succeed or not, it was fundamentally down to them and them alone. Yes. And that... You know, that's, that's the first code block. It's, it's incredibly powerful. It's quite empowering when you sort of truly get your head around it. Yeah. Um, we moved on then to sort of purpose and passion. I, I sort of struggled um, over the years to sort of put a label on this and eventually yeah. sort of settled with purpose. Um, but again, what was uniquely consistent amongst them all and probably approaching a thousand individuals now over a decade that I've spoken to, yeah. Um, was that they had this this rocket fuel, this internal reason. Yeah. It was never it was never about money or status or mm. the sort of the car they drove or whatever sort of other materialistic external ways that we measure success. Yeah. Um, to these people, they were just byproducts. To these individuals, it was about a deep personal reason why their truth, mm -hmm. made, why they had to succeed. Um, and the, for example, there, there's just a couple there. They're just the first two in the sequence, ownership and purpose. And that's before you even begin to get into goals and achievements, et cetera, et cetera. Does that make sense? Totally. I love it. I love it. And you, you mentioned earlier on that you, you know, you co-authored a book with Jack Hanford, The Recipe for Success. Um, and I mean, I know Jack is one of the, sort of the, the best-selling business authors of all time, which is incredible. Share with us, what was your contribution in the book? What did you write about? Tell us a bit more about that. So I, I sort of was very, very fortunate, Tony, to sort of be invited to contribute a chapter to, to Jack's book. It, it's sort of a long story, but anyway, we got to the point where um, his organization reached out and said, would you write a chapter for us? And particularly the chapter that I was asked to construct and write about was about the power of habit power yeah. of discipline um and I, I sort of created something in that space called the easiness conundrum 
Um, okay. and, and again, that came from some of my research at the time that, um, you know, an awful lot of success is down to the decision making that we, we make at various points in our lives. Yeah. And I can describe to anybody how to succeed. It's a set of seven steps, as you've probably got a sense. And, and each yeah. step on their own are easy to do. Mm. But equally, each one of those steps on their own are very easy not to do. Yes. And, you know, the vast majority of people will find reasons why it's easy not to do it. Um, and that could be anything, you know, they could make choices to spend time on social media rather than listening to a fantastic web sort of podcast like this. Yeah. Or they could choose to watch mindless TV rather than reading a book. Now mm. I'm sort of giving basic examples there, but so the, the chapter was about habit and discipline and how if you make continually good decisions and build continually good habits, habits that drive success, then they almost compound each other a bit like sort of interest on a savings account that you yeah. start to find good habits compounding on top of good habits, compounding on top of good habits and success is almost a guarantee. Yeah. Um, and that, that was the chapter that I was I sort of submitted and, and was in the book and it resonated so much with the editors and the publishers that, you know, they were, they were, daft enough to ask me to go on the cover of the book with Jack, Tony. So it's incredible, incredible achievement. And you made a really good point there. I know so many salespeople I work with, they know that they should read a good sales book rather than maybe watch Netflix, or they know they should do some exercise to get in the right physical and mental frame of mind, but they choose not to. What do you think that boils down to? Um, it boils down to some of the earlier comments I made before that, that their, their purpose, their true purpose or passion, I would argue that they haven't truly captured it or harnessed it or even given themselves the reason why they should. Um, because that, it's the secret source, Tony. When, you know, when I'm, when I'm really tired of a morning, to use your exercise example, um, and I really, really don't want to go out in the cold and rain and, and sort of do the training run, um, yeah. Without a purpose or a passion, it's so easy to stay in bed. Yeah. However, when that purpose or passion is so compellingly sort of important and deep to me, and without, you know, without getting into sort of too much personal detail, my purpose and passion in terms of my health is, is being around for the children to grow up. Yeah. And, you know, I want to see them get married. I want to see them have grandchildren. And, and when you know this and harness this, it's so much easier to get out of bed when that's the reason to do it yeah. rather than, you know, having a goal that says you must run five kilometers a week, blah, blah. That's not deep enough. That's not personal enough. It's not purposeful enough. Yes. And I think that's why going back to your question, that's why individuals would, you know, do something else instead of sort of taking an option that will drive success. They haven't yet harnessed why or what it is that they want to achieve yeah that's really powerful so what's your best advice steve for, for my listeners who are who maybe haven't found the purpose what's the best advice how do you go about that um there are there are a number of ways tony I, I, I sort of have several techniques and models in the book but to help people do that but mm. it's a set it's fundamentally when i'm doing this on stage or when i'm doing this in webinars or indeed seminars or workshops with clients we sort of take them through what i call sort of the seven if questions the seven purpose questions mm. and it's, it's a set of questions where 
I really ask individuals to, to personally reflect and think long and hard to a number of questions like, you know, if you, and, and it's quite a scary question, but it really does force people to think. Yeah. If you only had a year left to live, yeah. what would you absolutely choose and wish to do for that 12-month period? What would give you the greatest joy, the greatest purpose and passion that would, you know, would, would make you really, really reflect and think hard? Mm. If money was no object, what would you choose to do for a living? Yeah, I love that. People, you know, what do people come, what do friends and family or colleagues come to you for? What's your, so what's your professional superpower? What is it, you know, are you just wonderful at closing deals or are you... Are you incredible at overcoming objections or are you we all individually have something uniquely sort of uh qualitative yeah um, in a professional sense it's easier to sort of think about it on a personal sense but but it really does apply in both fields yeah um, and it's that type of reflective questioning tony that i encourage sort of clients delegates whomever to to think about it doesn't you know i'm clicking my fingers it doesn't often happen within seconds but if you take the time and truly truly think about it then it doesn't take too long for it to immediately dawn no i love that so i think it's about asking asking yourself those really important personal questions to find that purpose I think that's fantastic advice i know steve you when i did some research on you 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 talk about the brown envelopes share share a bit more about that well the the three brown envelopes story Tony is is effectively my life in in three brown envelopes. It's why I'm sort of sat writing books and standing on stages around the world speaking. And and yet it it I imagine well certainly it resonates with lots of audiences. We all have our own brown envelope moments. So yeah, um, the first brown envelope in my life happened when I was about 16 years of age. I was very fortunate to have gone to uh, one of the city's top schools. I was born in a city called Liverpool. Yeah. Um, and in the mid-1980s, it was a completely different city to today. It was, um, should we say, sort of deprived. Unemployment was way above the national average. Um, and at 16 years of age, despite one of the um, wonderful opportunities of going to one of the city's main sort of grammar schools, as they're mm. called, um, basically, Tony, I bombed. Yeah. I was lazy. I didn't work hard. I kept saying, I'll do it next term. I'll do it next year. And very quickly, sort of six years passed. Um, and that first brown envelope was when I was handed the results from my O-level exams at the time, or GCSEs, I think yeah. individuals will know them as today. Um, I took 10 subjects. Um, you could get an A, B, or C, which would be a pass. You could get a D or an E, which was uh, a failure, but at least you scored enough to warrant a grade. Yeah. Or you yeah. could get the letter U, which stood for ungradable. Yeah. Um, on that day, I received the brown envelope and my grades read, I won't get the sequence exactly right here, but it was very much U, U, E, E, U, U. I got a C in maths. Yeah. And then U, U, D, E. So basically, I'd bombed. Yeah. I'd absolutely, I'd bombed. I was 17 years of age approaching. I had no opportunity. School wouldn't let me come back and resit just because they were so poor. Um, yeah. And I had to go home, Tony, and look my parents in the eye. And 
and explain what had happened and, and where I was and the look of disappointment still, still today. So yeah. makes the hurt on the back of my neck stand up. Sure, I can imagine. Now, 20 years later, I was a senior executive running, very effectively running the UK branch network for a major UK bank. Yeah. Uh, all the prestige and status that goes with that, including the lifestyle, including the flash motor car and the big house. Yeah. Um, and then in 2008, the banking crisis hit. Yeah. Financial crisis hit. And within 12 months, despite me making thousands of people unemployed myself, the second brown envelope um, was handed to me. And that was a moment when I was told I was unemployed. Yeah. Um, in a sector that had pretty much imploded uh, globally. Um, and I had to go home. And this time, it was my wife holding our two babies at the time. Yeah. Um, and I had to explain to Caroline that, you know, my career effectively in banking was over. Um, how we were going to get a job, you know, we sort of at, at several points over the following six months, we were at risk of losing our home. Yeah. Um, and it was an incredibly difficult time, um, precipitated by that second brown envelope. And then a decade later, I'm a best-selling author. I get to travel the world speaking about this type of stuff. Yeah. And that third brown envelope was when I handed my resignation in. Um, to my employer at the time to follow and, and chase this passion of, of personal success, personal achievement, and, and helping people. Um, and they are the three brown envelopes, Tony, that, that shaped my life. Now, the first two, I don't know, well, I certainly do now, but I had no idea how the 16, 17-year-old boy in the city of Liverpool, without an educational qualification to my name, yeah. ended up running the NatWest Bank. Yeah, I really don't know how the guy who was then made unemployed at risk of homelessness with two babies ended up sort of being a senior advisor for a private equity company. Yeah. Later. Now, I do know now with hindsight that the success code was at play. Yeah. Seven steps, those seven strategies that I sort of referenced at the start. I didn't know then, Tony, but, but they were the reasons why I achieved what I did on the back of those three brown envelopes. That is incredible. I love that. I love that story. And I, and I think that will resonate with a lot of readers who have got, you know, as you said, their own brown envelopes throughout their life. Those pivotal moments, I guess. It is. And it's just knowing what I didn't know what to do at those points, but clearly something instinctively kicked in. Yes. Um, now, if you remember earlier, I talked about ownership. Well, I quickly realized at 17 years of age, it wasn't the teacher's fault. It yeah. wasn't the school's fault. It wasn't my parents' fault. It was me that yeah. owned those grades in the first brown envelope. Yeah. Um, and it was me that was going to make my parents proud again. Yeah. So you, you, you can get a pretty strong sense there what my purpose was for the next two decades. Totally. Um, no, that's amazing. You know, it's amazing what I achieved with, without a single GCSE or O level to my name. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's inspiring. Well, what's, you obviously, you've interviewed over a thousand successful people in all walks of life and obviously that's how the success code has been designed and created what's some of the best tips from a sales perspective that you've been given along your journey oh goodness how long have we got well i'll certainly i'll, I'll pick uh, one or two that i hope will resonate with your audience and and particularly in sales you know i've i've, I've been there with 
sort of worn the badge, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it was quotas and targets, isn't it? It's it's what we live and die by. It's it's what yeah. the sort of performance rewarded or unfortunately performance consequenced on the back of. Yeah. Um, and one of the, again, one of the common themes when I started talking to these individuals, um, yes, they talked about ownership and yes, they talked about purpose. But then when you would press them or when I used to press them on the nitty gritty of, okay, well, that's all... That's all sort of deep emotional, psychological stuff. Tell me what you do in terms of practically. How do you, particularly for those who sort of um, succeeded in sales or succeeded in business, I would press them hard on target achievements, goal attainment, KPI delivery, et cetera. Mm. And here's the real sort of um, the, the tip or the insight. In fact, it warrants a whole code block in the success code, Tony. Yeah. They would they would talk to me quite clearly of goals and targets in themselves were just wish statements. Mm. So I wish to achieve a target of X or I need to achieve a target of Y. Now what these individuals were obsessed by was what I subsequently labeled systemization. Yeah. And that's the concept or the, or the very simple technique of building the systems to achieve the goal as opposed to focusing on the goal itself, mm. if that makes sense. So um, mm -hmm. the best way I can describe that or the, the way that sort of brought it to life for me is uh, a guy once explained it to me wonderfully simply saying, I could have a goal of trying to run a marathon of 26 miles in five hours. And I would go, yeah, okay. So that, that typically is a goal. You could label it as a sales goal. You can label it as a business goal. But that's the goal. Very specific, you know, yeah. five hours, 26 miles, et cetera. And you think, right, well, that ticks all the smart box objectives, sorry, yeah. smart goal objectives. However, the guy looked at me and said, do you think that goal is going to get me to run 26 miles in five hours? Um, and I said, uh, well, at least it's specific. At least. And he said, no. It's systemization that will do it. And he then went on to proceed to explain to me, Tony, that yeah. systemization is taking that step back and thinking, right, I'm going to see a dietitian to get the right eating plan. Yeah. I'm going to go and get the best footwear to suit my foot type. I'm going to find an individual who has completed marathons and can become a training partner. I'm going to build a running plan around my family so I've never got excuses not to. And on and on and on it went. Yes. And therefore, he was just making it really clear to me in a non-salesy way, but it then made complete sense sales-wise, is that it's the system that achieves the target, yeah. not the goal or the target itself. I love that. I love that. And that can really be applied to sales. You know, they, they, I think it's so true that they say, this is what I'm going to hit by the end of the month. And when I ask a very simple question of, great, how are you going to get there? They look at me blankly. Yeah, it's absolutely that, and to give you a second one you just sort of brought it onto it is is again this is not rocket science so we keep hearing that expression it's not rocket science but yeah but actually success isn't it's easy things done time and time again disciplines habits whatever you want to call them and and again that was another key insight for me that these successful individuals they do powerfully powerfully positive habits every day yeah day upon day upon day it, therefore you know unleashing the power of compounding habits that it and it's not 
it's nothing. There's no secret sauce. There's no real science. Whether it was making ten calls a day, then yeah. they would make twelve. Yeah. And if it was making fifteen calls a day, then they would make twenty. You and I would make ten. Yeah. And you and I would say, "Ah, oh, well, we'll make the five up tomorrow." But 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 tomorrow never came. Yeah. Whereas the individuals that would target to do fifteen would do twenty. They would be up five, and they would be up five the next day, and they would be up five. Now, if you're meant to make fifty calls in a week. And you end up making seventy-five. Yeah. Then I'm pretty certain if you do twenty-five more than you're meant to do week after week after week, then you are going to see the benefits, the compounding benefits of that, week after week, month after month. And that's just one very simple example of the power of compounding habit. Yeah. And yet, you know, so many salespeople will readily tell me countless excuses why they can't do their ten today. Yeah. Totally. Did you find when you when you interviewed these these thousand people who who've experienced great success, did they have any bad habits? Um, what a great question. Yes, is the easy answer. Um, because they did. They, you know, they all, maybe not all, but but many of them would reference. You know that they're not superstars. They're not. Yeah. They, Sort of, they don't have 27 hours in their working day, but the rest of us only have 24. Yeah. You know, they had the same number of hours every day that you and I did. Um, they just chose most of the time to invest that time on their success rather than, than not. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, they would often talk about decisions or choices that they made that with regret they would have done something different. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I really should have read a book, but I spent mindless time on social media. Yeah. I really, really should have gone on to a great webinar like what Tony does, but I watch mindless TV for an hour. It, you know, they, yeah. they often would share habits, but the habits, sorry, um, reflections on things they wish they'd done better or could yeah. have done for a fact. And it often typically would be stripped back to, decision making they just made the wrong choice at time but unlike the vast majority they tended to make the right choice most of the time yes yes no i think that's really important actually i mean for, for my listeners who majority are going to be salespeople, if there's three things steve that they could change to move forward and and start their success journey in sales what would those three things be okay um, I am going to sort of reflect back on the foundational themes that I sort of referenced at the start because yeah. the, the, the basics are so, so important. So if I was to give those three sort of ideas or suggestions in terms of the basics, Tony, to your question, then I would go back to ownership. I yeah. think it's fundamental that the individuals look in the mirror. It's not to do with the CRM. It's not to do with the value proposition from the marketing team. It's not to do with the fact it's Brexit. It's not to do with the fact that coronavirus is sort of putting clients up, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Because there will be a long, long list of, in inverted commas, excuses. Yeah. What I'm telling them to do is to absolutely take ownership. Yeah. It's your mindset, it's your choice, it's your decision-making, and it all starts with how you think and how you operate. Yeah. Step number two would be exactly what we said before. Take some time to really, really step back and understand what it is and why you need to achieve and succeed. Is it family? Is it personal? 
Is mm. it the children? Is it an objective and an aspiration that you have for your career? Is it something else? Find the rocket fuel. Yeah. When you have the shit day, when you have the awkward client, when you have the refusal, when you have that deal that you thought was in the bag and suddenly it's not, you've got to find the rocket fuel that pushes you on again and again and again. Yes. Yeah. And the third one to add something fresh is about limiting beliefs, erasing the limiting beliefs that somehow you've got in your mind that those conversations you have with yourselves of, well, I can't do that and they won't buy that and that's not going to work and I'm not going to be able to get that and that's not going to happen this month, etc. They're all limiting beliefs. They, they have no substance. Yeah. Nobody, nobody sort of created them except you. Yes. Therefore, you as the individual have the absolute ability to overcome them, push past them. Yeah. Totally. So they would, be, they would be the three I would suggest at this point, Tony. No, that's amazing, Steve. Where can my audience access your, your books and your great content? Well, the, both of the books are on Amazon. Um, yeah. One is, as I said, Recipe for Success. And the latter one, the one that's dominated our conversation today, Unlocking the Success Code, they're both on there. Um, you can even access them through my website, Tony, and that's labeled www.moldanconsulting.com. All one word, moldanconsulting.com. And on there, I think one of the pages says books, and there's also details there on programs and speaking, etc., as well as a number of free tools and resources that people can, can download and, and use. Amazing. Steve, thank you so much for giving me up your valuable time this morning and sharing the success code with us. It's been hugely beneficial. Thank you. My pleasure, Tony, and, and thank you for inviting me and best wishes to all your listeners. And you, thank you.